In January, Liverpool were 14 points behind Manchester City in the title race and it seemed almost certain that Pep Guardiola's side would secure yet another Premier League crown. Now, the gap is a single point and the biggest title race comeback in Premier League history is still a possibility. And it could be a Liverpool legend who shapes the end of the season at the Etihad. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Big games deserve the big names. Delighted to say that my regular wingman, Mark O'Hare, is back with us, Mark. This title race really has been extraordinary. And that's down to the consistent excellence of both sides. Every draw has felt like a defeat because they look across at each other and think, oh, God, they're just not going to drop any points. It's been incredible. Yeah, I mean, we're we're living in a sort of time which we've, we've not really experienced before. I know we've had the, the title battles between United and Arsenal through... The 90s and early noughties, but um, they felt fantastic and, and and really well, really really competitive. But nowadays, when you're looking at a minimum of 90 points to be in consideration to possibly win a title, arguably more than that, um, the standards really have improved and, and dramatically so as well. Um, and yeah, it's. I think we all uh, always expected Man City to be in the running, um, as you do with a, such a well-financed club and a high-quality coach like Pep Guardiola. But to have Liverpool there right on their heels and saying, being so relentless really after what was like a, a difficult start after a difficult season last year with all the injuries that they experienced. And uh, to have them bounce back in the manner that they have, I think it's been been wonderful really, and uh, not just in the Premier League, but across all the competitions too. Um, Liverpool have, to me, been the team of the season and I'd like to see them hopefully try and complete the complete the, uh, the feat by winning the title. I think it's going to be very, very difficult with the with the fixtures at hand and that the market seems to believe that City have already won the league. But um, yeah, it, it's it's very difficult to sort of look beyond these two. They've been a cut and above away, above from everyone else and, and so competitive and, and just so consistent too. Um, you know, we talked about it many, many weeks ago uh, after they played each other with these two teams drop points between now and the end of the season. And you know, it was it was quite hard to try and pinpoint where it would be. And Liverpool against Spurs probably did leap off the page, and then City with the injuries that they had defensively at West Ham. But even still, they could have gone and won that match later on. So, um, yeah, credit to both of them. But uh, my uh, <laughs> from a neutral perspective, I know some of you are, but I, I am hoping Liverpool try and uh, turn it around. But it looks uh, it looks uh, an improbable task now. Odds compiler and betting expert Mark Stinchcombe is with us once again. Stinch on the Liverpool side of things. Let's look at that game against Wolves because Liverpool are 1.2 to win. Of course, we expect that. But he's going to be quite tense, isn't it? Especially if something happens at the Etihad that means it's on. It, it could get very tense. Is there any scope at all to give Wolves a head start by a couple of goals or are they going to get hammered here? Um, well, just on your first point, you're right, it, it could be tense, but it's it's actually a repeat of the same match that was played three seasons ago in exactly the same scenario, Liverpool being, Liverpool being one point behind City in the final game of the season. And then that time, City went away to Brighton and Brighton actually took the lead. So it did actually happen, the sort of scenario you described. And Liverpool managed that game very well against a very good Wolves team, um, probably as almost similar level in terms of ability as the Wolves team now um, 
and Liverpool managed that to a 2-0 win and City obviously came back and I think they won 4-1 in the end so um, but you know this Liverpool team under Klopp they went they'll, they'll be as professional as, as as they can they're you know they we've seen the mentality that they've shown since I don't know probably the last three or four seasons now um, you know it's 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 very difficult to see them let something like that distract them away. Um, Wolves themselves have not been, we talk about this kind of on the beach kind of scenario and Wolves themselves have been, you know, they haven't really been, I'd say, I know they overachieved and in terms of like the underlying numbers, but you know they have they haven't won any any of their six games and it's one win in eight now. Like it does feel very beachy like um, to me. And and that match uh, they played at home to Man City where they lost five one. Um, the defending just didn't look on on point. But then again they went to Chelsea and they showed some resolve to come back from two 0 down. But we know Chelsea have been very volatile themselves. But that's the beauty of football, isn't it? It can be quite unpredictable. But you know Liverpool have won 15 of the last 17 Premier League matches and and the two games they dropped points in was against Man City and Spurs so you know nothing really to be too ashamed about regarding that um, in both of those games I think a draw was a, probably a fair result um, so I don't think Liverpool you know I don't think anybody can have any complaints really at this um, run that Liverpool have been on and continue to be on because you know that's just Premier League matches across all competitions we've seen how good they've been Um so I was looking here at uh, a, you know, a professional Liverpool victory, basically. Um, Liverpool to win under 3.5 goals is evens, and I think that's a very big increase from that 1-7. to seven. Um, Since the international break at the end of February and the schedule has increased across all competitions, Liverpool have won nine games in the Premier League at an average of just 2.22 goals. Now, that sounds quite low, but two of those have been Liverpool and they've kept clean sheets in seven of those nine victories. So essentially, you know, they've been like they've been very machine like um, and under three and a half goals is one in eight of those games. And the only one it didn't was the 4-0 the victory against Man United, who are obviously um, they seem to have checked out United uh, already this season. And obviously that's a bit of a derby. So there is an incentive there for Liverpool kind of attack them a bit more. Um, and Wolves, but Wolves have got the fourth best defense defense in the league. I know the underlying numbers suggest that, that they shouldn't be as high as that, but that also suggests that they've got above average players, particularly people like Jose Sarr. Um, now, how he good has he been this season? He has been yeah. absolutely incredible. But it's worth noticing that he didn't actually play against Norwich on Sunday. And as far as I'm aware, he's not injured, so I'm not sure whether he'll be involved in this game. Um, John Ruddy played in goal there. But yeah, a lot of credit to, must go towards him. And, um, you know, they dumped Rui Patricio, didn't they, really? And, you know, he's gone to Roma, and obviously Roma have had a reasonable season. Um, but, you know, it's quite like a, maybe a risk to take to go down the, the side route. But I think it was, a, you know, a risk that, that uh, worked out well in the end. Um, but despite the fact that I think Wolves have had a good season, I think there's some talk amongst Wolves fans exactly whether they can quantify it as a good season, given the way they finished. 
I think they, they think they can write it down as a good season, but I think they're worried where they go from here, basically. You know, Raul Jimenez doesn't quite look himself. It's likely Adama Traore will leave. And, you know, you take them two out of their attack and, you know, that's two big two big cogs or already, you know, they have they are without the second half of the season without Traore. Um, yeah, and Jimenez doesn't look himself since injury. So I think Wolves are a bit concerned where they go from here. And having said all that, they've actually lost more games than they've won this season. They've lost 16 games, which I thought was quite a lot, really, considering their eighth in the table but I thought quite key was 14 of them have been under three and a half goals so the other two only two that haven't was the the 5-1 v City and 3-2 defeat v Leeds and they played um, the most of that second half of only 10 men but generally when Liverpool played Wolves they have been tight games um, there's been seven since Wolves were promoted back to the Premier League and Liverpool have won all seven of them so they found a way and they've only conceded once so I'm very much envisaging lots of games we've seen Liverpool play recently where the opposition sits back in the in the low block and Liverpool have to try and break them down. Um, in those seven games, Liverpool conceded just once and, and under three and a half goals won six times. So, yeah, I just thought that I don't expect Liverpool to go out and, and try and blow them away. Um, I don't think that would be very wise because they could easily get caught on the counter-attack. So I just think the way Liverpool are going to play this is the way they've played the last sort of, yeah, two months essentially in a professional manner knowing that three points is a must Betfair trader and tipster extraordinaire Emmett O'Keefe is with us once again Emmett legendary Liverpool skipper Steven Gerrard the hero of Istanbul is the manager of an Aston Villa side that will look to derail Manchester City's title bid does he have a chance of doing that or is City just going to do what they do and power their way to title glory I think he definitely. Has, I think they definitely have a better chance than the odds suggest. I think twenty to one was their current price, and the exchange underwrites Villa's chances. I think obviously it's it's not ideal from Villa point of view to play to be playing on a Thursday ahead of a Sunday match. But just looking at say earlier in the season when early in Gerrard's tenure at um, at Aston Villa, they actually held Man City to their fourth lowest xG figure of the season at Villa Park. They were very very competitive, and if you look at the Last week's last week's game against Liverpool, I thought they were really excellent against Liverpool. Like, and if you could just compare the level of performance from Villa versus, we say, Southampton, where although the kind of the score lines were the score lines were similar, that the games are completely different. That Liverpool, the Liverpool Aston Villa game was, was a really close game that Villa could easily got a result in, whereas the Stampton Stampton Liverpool game, Liverpool was absolutely battered them with, with kind of a second choice eleven. And I kind of, and just we've seen how. Um, how the kind of the losses, especially of Kyle Walker and Ruben Diaz, have made this city team. With you saw like Jared Bowen running inside Zinchenko last week, and like if I think I think Jared will play probably Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings up front, and I think they can definitely trouble City's defenders. I think I got on on the counter they can do a similar thing to what we saw from Mikel Antonio and Bowen last week, and just given all of that, like and if if Villa were to score early. Are we like 100% confident City are going to come back? Because obviously, like, we know how nervous like Guardiola is going to be. I think, like, yeah, just, I think if, if you're, I think, I think Liverpool I think, fans I, I, are getting yeah. excited here, Emmett. Listen, yeah, the, the chances are City will win this game comfortably, as the odds suggest. Oh. But, but, but is it like, but I, think, I, think, I think 20 to 1 Villa are a fair bet. I think as well as well, like, I, I could have also just say if it's one all with seven or eight minutes to go, City are going to push everything forward in search for a win, which would give Villa a chance to counter-attack to get your choice. So I'd rather be on the 20-1 to 1 than backing Villa double chance, for example. So, yeah, I, I, I think they're, they're worth the five or a tenner anyway. 
I'm still trying to work out whether Liverpool fans should be excited or shouldn't after that. Uh, what we should be excited about, though, is our new feature, Bet Builder Can We Tip It? Bet Builder, yes we can. Now, how this works is the guys each come up with a selection to hurl into a Bet Builder. Uh, we nearly nailed a 6.1 winner on our first attempt in the Europa League final, but it was all too friendly and clean when we needed a bit more violence and a few more cards. So, I'm going to start with Mark O'Hare. What is your contribution to this Manchester City versus Aston Villa bet builder that we're going to put on? Uh, I'm going to put up both teams to score. Um, because of Manchester City's injuries uh, defensively, you no know, Walker, Diaz or Stones are due back this weekend. I think last weekend it looked like an unfit Laporte alongside Fernandinho at centre-half, leaving Nathan Ake on the bench, which felt like a... An odd call, really, and I think City lacked the recovery pace of Walker, and I think Ake could have remedied that a little bit. So it'd be interesting to see which system he goes with here. But um, I think West Ham caused them plenty of problems in those transitions and counterattacks. And as Emmett has said, I think Ollie Watkins could have a huge amount of joy uh, if given the same sort of freedom. Um, I'd hope Emi Buendia gets a bit of game time here because, to me, he's been much more influential in, in the bit parts he's been given. Uh, compared to Coutinho over the last 10 weeks. But um, yeah, I think sacrilege. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> you're not, but it's it's the, it's true. Um, I think Wendy has been marginalised when he should be uh, one of the, the first members on that team sheet. So I think he's done a lot more than Coutinho recently. But there we are. Um, I expect Coutinho will play. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Villa can absolutely um, uh, make a game of it and at least get on the score sheet here. And I think the price to do so, it's around 2.3, I think, for both teams to score. It's a, a very big price considering the, the City defence that was set up. So, Mark's kicked us off. I'm going to go with Stinch next. Um, I deserve to go last, Kev, because I let the team down <laughs> in the inaugural one. Certainly so, not. Certainly not. So, you now expected... I'm going to pass, pass the baton to Emmett. Okay, so Emmett's going to take the next one then. Yeah, I guess we're, we're assuming, I'm going to assume Fernandinho is going to start here. And if he does, I think he's, 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 he's it looks a very solid price at 5-2 to two for a card. I, one of the good things about this bet as well is that even if City are three or four up with with 10, 10 minutes to go, it's just in Fernandinho's nature. He'll haul down whichever <laughs> Villa attacker, he'll, he'll, he'll stop a counter-attack at all costs. I think I think this this will be a serious challenge for him. And given given the stakes in the game, I think we can expect, we can expect I think 5-2 looks a very, very appetising price on Fernandinho for a card. Excellent. So we've started with goals and violence. Stinch, what are you bringing to the table? Uh, mine's quite niche. Um, I was looking at City to rack up the corners. Essentially, I think it would be them attacking a lot. But I thought the corner line for them was really high. It's like 8.5. And, you know, if they do go into a two or three goal lead, then it's likely they'll just manage the game rather than continue to, to attack. But so then when I was looking, the Villa line caught my eye and the, the Villa line set at 2.5. And I think that's very low for, for corners. You know, if you get one corner, there is often a chance that you can get easily get one or two more in, in the same in the same situation. So, yeah, over two and a half Villa corners are evens. Um, just asking for three corners from Villa since that international break in February in, in the 11 games, then City have averaged three against so that's you know that's the number we're looking for here and actually Villa away from home under Gerard in his 12 games have averaged over five a match and they hit four in the reverse fixture so yeah I just I just think over 2.5 is a very low line to clear and it's evens so I quite like that 
Um, just as an, an alternative, just on the, the game itself in terms of a, another bet, I was looking at um, perhaps De Bruyne to score for City. Um, put him up before when they played Liverpool and noticed that he seems to do most of his good work at the Etihad, although obviously he did score four away against Wolves. But he's top scorer for City in the Premier League. Um, he's got 13 goals in his last 19 Premier League games. And I read something interesting recently as well that a lot of people obviously criticising Jack Grealish because of his basic numbers, you know, goals and assists. But actually, he brings so much more to City that aren't defined by those very basic yes, stats. I would agree um, with that. Yeah. And and he and the Man City, I saw an interview with him as well that he gave. Like Man City, like analysts are telling him what he's doing is good as well in terms of like getting touches in the opposition box, um, being like the second key pass before the shot, and also expected assists per ninety is the best in the league. Um, but his teammates just haven't finished the chances, so that's, that can't be labelled at him. But I think what's happened is like. It's allowed De Bruyne to be a bit more expansive and a bit more explosive with Grealish occupying more players. Um, and so, yeah, I looked him to score at 13 to 10, but I thought I found maybe an even better bet, which was De Bruyne to have over 1.5 first half shots at 6 to 4. Obviously, it's a bigger price, but I noticed that De Bruyne, he seems to have started quickly in matches this season in terms of his shooting. And I wonder if it's because maybe Pep is managing his schedule a bit more, given the injuries that he's kind of picked up. Because he's been sub 17 times this season across all competitions. Um, and in the first half, he's averaging 1.7 shots per game. So if you were kind of use that as a, a basic input, you'd be looking at evens and, and the 6-4 to four available. So I thought that was quite a good bet because it's any shot. It doesn't have to be on target. You know, it could be a block. Uh, he has a shot from a free kick reba- rebound to him. He tries again. You know, the bet wins in, in that one instance as well. So I also thought um, over two and a half first half shots of five to one was, was worth a pop um, just because I think City are going to try and start fast and, and in particular him. I'm glad you've mentioned that about Jack Grealish. I've been banging on about that all season and nobody believes me. So now I can point them uh, to Stinch's excellent case on Grealish's behalf. So that's the title race in England previewed. What about the race for the Scudetto in Italy? That comes to a thrilling conclusion on Sunday. And earlier I spoke to betting.betfair.com's Serie A columnist, Chloe Beresford. So, Chloe, it's been an absolutely extraordinary title race between these two Milan rivals. You wondered if Milan were going to be able to last the pace. They have. And now they're very much in control of the situation. Just explain to our listeners who maybe aren't across the numbers, what do Milan need? What do they, uh, what lead do they have? What's the situation at the top of the table going into these final games? Okay, so um, Milan are two points clear. So basically, they only need a draw, which, you know, they just have to avoid losing, basically. And then it doesn't really matter what Inter do. Um, Inter obviously will want to win and then hope that Milan slip up. But with that two-point advantage, they really are in the driving seat. It's in their hands. Um, and they'll they'll be looking to, to sew it up without too many hiccups, I, I guess. On the Inter side of things, the market clearly believes that Sampdoria aren't going to be able to put up much of a fight. Of course, it doesn't always work that way going into the last round uh, of a league season. What's impressed you about into this season? Um, I think uh, Ivan Perisic has really stood out. You know, he's um, he's a veteran. He was sort of converted to a wing back by the previous boss, Antonio Conte. And I think he... 
um, has really sort of been a leader in that team and, and showed that even at his age, he's still got a lot left to give and a lot of quality still. And I think that obviously Inter were forced to make um, some big sales in the summer, um, Romelu Lukaku being the, the biggest of those names. And Simone Inzaghi has still managed to challenge for the title even and he's won the Coppa Italia even though he's lost those players since Conte left. So he really came to a club that were in a bit of turmoil. They'd lost their manager, they've lost their stars. Um, and, and he's managed to, to uh, well, he's won something already this season and he's still challenging for the title. And I guess there was going to be a lot of extra pressure on the shoulders of Lautaro Martinez, wasn't there? Because with Lukaku gone... Everybody looked at him and Oed and Dzeko has come in, but they looked at Martinez and said, we need you to get the goals. And he's obliged in a lot of cases. Yeah, I mean, they they called um, Lukaku and Martinez Lula. So they, they, were that, <laughs> they were that much of a partnership that I think it really was a blow to to break that up. And then with the greatest respect to Edin Dzeko, he's, he's not Lukaku. I mean, I know Lukaku struggled back in the Premier League, but in Serie A, he was absolutely on fire for Inter and Dzeko's not really been able to provide that same contribution. Um, so, yeah... Lautaro has had to really shoulder that shoulder that burden and he, he has done extremely well. He's, you know, a great talent. Are we expecting Sampdoria to put up much opposition here? Have they been a thorn in the side of the big teams this season? Well, it's hard to say because they've been battling relegation. They've not been very good this season at all. Um, but they have now survived. So you might think they've taken the foot off the gas. But actually, um, in... In the last midweek, they beat Fiorentina 4-0. So they they survived with an emphatic win and that might spur them on to kind of finish the season with a flourish. So I wouldn't expect them to roll over, certainly. Just on to Milan then, and they go to Sassuolo. Sassuolo are a strange team, aren't they? Because if you looked at their league position, you think, well, they're just a mid-table team. But actually, some of the results they've had against the big teams have been hugely impressive. Yeah, they've they've been sort of really strange. You could you could write them off because they've they've lost some they've been disappointing at times, lost some games, but then like you say they've pulled off a real good result against the big team and at times they've performed extremely well. So it's a potential banana skin for sure, I think, because if they turn up and play to their potential the way they can play, it will be a really tough game. And it's really fascinating clash this one, I think, because Milan have been outstanding defensively. I guess Kalulu and Tamori have, have really shouldered the responsibility after Simon Kier got injured. Mike Menion's been brilliant in goal. But then they're up against some really exciting attacking players in that Sassuolo team. Yeah, I think um, that has been Milan's strength, that how solid they've been. And Stefano Pioli is a, a real expert, I would say, in um, team sort of togetherness and, and making them play as a unit. Um, so, yeah, that would be an interesting battle. Um, like you say, Tomori's been absolutely excellent and people have sort of questioned why he's not got more England call-ups than he has. Um, but yeah, really, really good match up there between a solid defence and a sharp attack. Even though it's your first time on the show, Chloe, I'm going to show no mercy whatsoever. I want a prediction. Who's going to win Serie A this weekend? Um, I will go with Milan, I have to say. I think it's in their favour. Great to hear from Chloe. She's been giving us great insight all the way through this season. Mark, what's your view on this? Because... 
that trip to Sassuolo, as me and Chloe discussed, that could be a tricky one for Milan, couldn't it? Yeah, completely agree. Um, I have a nagging feeling there could be a bit of a twist in this Scudetto race. Uh, I think Inter have got a bit of a, a kind of home run at home to, to Sampdoria, really. I expect them to run up a, a decent win there. But uh, obviously, Milan only need a point to, to successfully win the title. But this is this is tracky, trappy. Um, and the market seems to suggest Milan need to win and win quite comfortably to, to secure the title. And that's just not the case, really. So... If you look at the Asian handicap, it's been set at one and a quarter. Um, now, obviously, Milan have been the best away team in Serie A, not just this season, but also last season. They've been very, very good at just churning out results and being quite consistent in that manner. But away from home, they've won by two goals or more five times this season, two of which were against the bottom two. Uh, Verona in ninth were the best team they've achieved that feat at. Now, Verona are very similar to Sassuolo, two points above them in the table, playing a very similar attacking style. But... Um, I just feel this is this is this is difficult. This is different because it's Asuelo's last home game. A number of their sort of key lights going forward, who we've talked about all season, will probably be leaving this summer too. They'll want to sign off in style, and this is a great opportunity for them to showcase their ability yet again, uh, and arguably the biggest stage domestically, considering what's at stake really. So, um, I just think in a match which Milan don't need to win, uh, a point is good enough. Why are they going to stretch themselves to go and try and run up a, a really sort of cushy win here? So. Um, yeah, they'll probably be proactive in, in their approach, but I think um, they'll be well aware of Sassuolo's strengths, well aware that if they open themselves up, Sassuolo are one of the best teams at kind of cutting through you and, and causing problems, really. So this does feel quite dangerous for Milan. And if you look at Sassuolo, they've been nilled just five times all season. In nine home games against top half opposition, they scored twice or more, six times. So you know, they're well within their rights to probably get on the score sheet here. Um and if they do, Milan would need to score three goals to see this bet lose, um, or at least not return uh, a profit. So, yeah, I mean, Sassuolo aren't the best, obviously, defensively, which is always a worry if you're going to get involved <laughs> with them. But um, I just think Milan do not want this game to turn into a basketball-style game. It's not in their interest to do so. Um, I think they'll be well capable of keeping Sassuolo at sort of arm's length and just kind of doing what's required. And if you look at their most recent away performances, that incredible finale at Lazio, when they scored in the last minute to, to pick up the points when they probably didn't deserve to do so. They were held at Torino in a, in a real sort of scrappy 0-0 uh, and a 1-0 win away at Cagliari, who are awful. So they've not exactly been putting teams to, to the sword often lately. They've just been doing what's required. And I think that might be the same case here. So they can win by one goal and we still make a half-stake profit here. Um, I just don't think they smash Sassuolo, as the market suggests. Now, I know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair is now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Emmett, you've got a Serie A pick for us as well. Yeah, keep this one fairly simple. It's just, I kind of, as kind of been spoken on the pod a fair bit the last couple of weeks, just how kind of, I think the betting markets can kind of overrate the motivation angle. And this is, and I, I think this is this is the case again with we've so we we've, we've Fiorentina playing playing Juventus on Saturday evening. Juventus already qualified the top four, and nothing to play for. Whereas Fiorentina will be playing for a place in the Conference League next season, or maybe the Europa League, depending on Roma's result on Friday. I think no, normally I would say Fiorentina be around maybe a two to one, nine to four shot if this was a normal Serie A game, but because of the motivation angle. 
they're 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 rent even money here, which as indifferent as Juventus's form has been, it just it just seems too much of an overreaction. Again, you've the kind of the given Juventus' strength and attack, if Fiorentina again, if it's if it's if, if they just the, the way the game's if it's one all with twenty minutes to go and they have to they're pushing for a win, and then you've Flyovic and Dybala on the counter attack, Juventus will be huge would present a huge threat there. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more than I said. I was, I was, I was thinking it might be you might. I was, I was looking originally to back Fiorentina, but I think the price might be in the kind of six to four region. But it's, I think, the, I think it's prices have kind of swing swung f- f- far too much in Fiorentina's direction, and more than happy to take a chance at Juventus here. The other thing as well about that is that if you understand Serie A, you understand that those two hate each other. I, I, yeah. And the Vlaovic move uh, obviously really helped that. That really placated <laughs> the Fiorentina fans to lose Vlaovic uh, to Juventus. So there's no way Juve fans are going to allow Juventus to just go there and just say, yeah, we're not bothered about this. It's not really how that rivalry works. So I think that's uh, a really good tip. Back to the Premier League then. And at time of recording, we don't know exactly the scale of the task facing Leeds United to stay up. But whichever way you look at it, they're going to have to try and push for a win against Brentford on the final day in West London. Stinch, what's the angle here? Yeah, so final day Premier League, trying to find edges in the goals markets, essentially, because as discussed before, May sees the highest amount of goals in a Premier League month and final day of the season is is, is generally the highest um, as most teams at this point don't have anything to play for. However, obviously, we do know that um, there probably will be still a relegation battle going on. There's obviously still a title race. Um, but and in having said that, you're you're right. Like I don't expect I don't expect Brentford and Leeds to to play out a cagey a cagey game. To be honest, and I don't think they can. Can they even if they <laughs> wanted to? I don't think they could. No, no, and and like just look, you know, looking at the odds, like over two and a half goals in this game, it's not even eight to thirteen. Um, you look across the the board this week, most of it's like either four to nine or two to five. I think there's. There's five matches that are four to nine or two to five. Then there's two that aren't even eight to thirteen. So you know it's a real struggle to try and find you know a bet involving goals. But I'm I'm quite happy to go with this one. And the bet I'm actually like I I initially thought about going for for both teams scoring over two and a half goals, which is one point seven five. But the more I looked into it, and the more that I just can't trust Leeds without. A proper goal scorer. I actually decided that I'm going to go for over 1.5 Brentford goals at 10 to 11. Um, I still think they are trying to finish the season as strong as possible, and a lot of that is being driven by Christian Eriksen, who, who I'll come on to. Um, but in terms of Leeds, they've conceded the second most goals in the league this season. With it, it's, I can't believe it. Every time you look at it, a whopping 78. Like that's just abysmal um there's no there's no two ways about it and away from home it's 40 they've conceded in 18 games so it's slightly higher um compared to at home and it's no surprise they're they're second for expected goals against and you know that's again that's not a surprise when they concede the third most shots they just give away chances for fun um they don't have another way of playing or they're incapable of playing another way and obviously they la- not only do they lack discipline in terms of obviously the fouls and the cards but i think they lack discipline in terms of their just general defensive play you know like you shouldn't try and play that five yard square pass on the edge of the box every time there's got to be a time when you just have to shift it you know even city and liverpool there are times when they will just shift it like 
and yeah. that's not necessarily a bad thing you know you get the chance to regroup and reset up and get yourself back into a, 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 a solid shape so yeah I think that that that's a huge issue so um, yeah for Brentford um, they're, they're only mid-table for goals, but I think, crucially, since Ericsson's come in, the nine games that he's started, they've scored 19 goals, so obviously 2.1 per game. And if you look at the uh, look at Ericsson before, sorry, look at Brentford before he arrived, they're only averaging 1.2 expected goals per game. But since he's arrived, they've now got the fifth highest in the league in this time at an average of 2.1 per game. So it's gone up by nearly a goal just that's to show enormous. his That's yeah, enormous. That's an enormous change. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Ericsson's numbers, they're fantastic. His all his all round offensive play is just is just phenomenal. Uh, you know, we know he's a, a world class player, but obviously we didn't know how he would kind of react to um, you know coming back into you know professional football after being out for a while. Um, but he, he just seems to have picked up where he left off, which is which is obviously fantastic. Um, he's top at Brentford for key passes per ninety, expected assists per ninety. He's second for expected goal chain and expected goal build up per ninety. So essentially, that's the stuff that happens without the shots and the assists. So the build up in the play, which as you you know, if you just watch him, you know you know you know he plays probing passes. You know he, he's not essentially playing passes for the sake of it. Um, and to put those, some of those numbers into context, he's posting a similar amount in terms of key passes per ninety and expected assists per ninety to De Bruyne and, and Alexander-Arnold. So that just goes wow. to show how key his involvement is. Yeah, just very slightly below those two. Um, so yeah, very happy to to get involved with the goals-based bet, and I'm think I'm quite happy with with this one that I'm putting up here, given the way that Brentford have played since he's arrived. They scored two in the reverse fixture after an hour, um, so I'm quite confident if they if they play this in terms of how they've played since Ericsson's arrived, that this has got a good chance at ten to eleven. Yeah, Mark, I've talked about this before. That poor old Dylan Melier in goal for Leeds. I've got no idea whether he's any good or not because he's just having to deal with so much in every single game. And I think what's notable, and we've talked about this on the pod before as well, is that Marcelo Bielsa was fired. That was controversial. Bringing Jesse Marsh in, it was never going to change anything massively stylistically, but he hasn't really been able to tighten them up much either. And actually... I, I look at that Dan James challenge, I look at the Luke Ayling challenge in the game before it. Are they actually listening to the coach at all? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we spoke about it when Bielsa was, was sacked, really, and it's it's so difficult to programme players who've been um, kind of just, you know, they spent, what, two years? Um, so intently kind of playing in such a way, uh, any sort of change was going to be difficult to kind of get them out of their the habits from beforehand. And yes, Jesse Marsh isn't a, a world away from, from Bielsa in terms of style and, and approach, but there are subtleties there, which uh, perhaps we haven't seen the best of. But uh, yeah, I think the discipline factor has been a, a big issue. But it's a it's a factor that's been an issue for Leeds for, since they've been returned to the Premier League, really. They've always been towards a, the top end of the disciplinary um, standing. So um, I think, you know, maybe recently they've been a little bit too pumped up. And, but just the, uh, the personal kind of... Um, responsibility to, to go and put, put yourself out there and produce those kind of challenges. It's just bordering on stupidity, really. So they only have themselves to blame from that. But I do sort of have sympathy for Leeds um, over a lot, sort of longer sample, really, just because of the injuries and, and now the suspensions as well. They have been hit injury-wise massively. And, OK, you can blame Bielsa for, for demanding just a small squad, but there doesn't seem to be any sort of joined-up thinking behind him either during the summer and, and during January in terms of transfer business. A few sort of strange signs would never really seem to 
to fit the system or what was probably required really and you know it's all kind of come together as a, as a big fine mess really and um, regardless of what happens on Thursday night, I think Leeds are going to have to try and go to Brentford and get a result, whether it's matching or better in Burnley's final day result, we don't know, but I assume they're going to have to go and get a win here and it's going to be very, very difficult. But um, I think one thing which is fairly surprising, I guess, really, is after grabbing that that late equaliser against Brighton last week, which will give them a huge lift, um, they've only lost five times in 23 when playing teams in eighth and below. And we talked about it throughout the last couple of years, that they do tend to get overrun by the big teams, but are very competitive against the rest. And Away from Ellen Road, they've lost three when excluding teams from the top six. So they are kind of accustomed to getting results, whether it's wins or draws, but they do tend to get something away from home. So this is a very tricky proposition for all the reasons Stinch has outlined. Brentford are, are going great guns, finishing the season very strongly, aiming for a top half finish, uh, which would be you know, quite historic for a team of Brentford's stature. So they're playing without pressure, um, but do have a degree of motivation. Leeds are obviously in desperation phase now as well. So... I think we could see something quite loose, quite frenetic, quite open uh, and quite entertaining for us neutrals. So um, I know Stinch kind of alluded to it there at the beginning about the price on over two and a half goals and BTTS. Um, it was a little bit short for me, really. But actually, if you go into the bet builder and just tick uh, a goal to be scored in each half, it boosts it from 175 to evens. Uh, and that's a really nice wee boost, I think, because if we're expecting three or more goals, the likelihood of them all coming in one half is, is pretty slim, I'd say, particularly on the final day of the season, particularly the way in which these two teams set up and will approach this match. Leeds Ed games are averaging 3.2 goals per game, 67% of away days have seen both teams scoring. Uh, and only City, Liverpool and Spurs have had more points than Brentford since March. And Brentford have scored twice and more in seven of those 10 games. So they're normally strong at home, but um, I think with Leeds, the way in which they're, they're, you know, the, they're the position they're in coming into this match, it really is sort of a win or bust. I was going to say something else then, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah our, our bat leads to score I think there's an outside chance Bamford is available and if there is an outside chance I think he will be on the field at some point too which will obviously be a big boost but look Rodrigo's good enough Rafinha's definitely good enough they have players of ability in forward areas who can cause problems to any defence in this division so you know, I think they can score and I think they can play their part in a really fun game our final Premier League preview of the season and Mark O'Hare nearly gets us cancelled. Worth bearing in mind that our fantastic Ackers and Bet Builders offers running every day. Bet £10 on Ackers or Bet Builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on Ackers or Bet Builders. T's and C's apply. Now, Emmett, first give us your view on Brentford Leeds, but I know you also want to widen out this look at the relegation battle and take a look at Burnley Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, I guess I, I, I think the other lads have kind of uh, have, 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 have covered most ground in Brentford v Leeds. I just kind of, yeah, echo, echo everything Dave said in terms of expecting a high scoring game. Just the angle I liked here is kind of the set piece angle. Brentford, Brentford have actually scored the third most set piece goals in the league. Only Brentford and Southampton have actually scored over 30% of their, their goals in the league from set plays. We know Leeds are still vulner, vulnerable. That, that that hasn't changed since Marcelo Bielsa has left. They've received the second most goals from set pieces in the league. Uh, so so, the, the, so the, the angle I like here is both Christian Eriksen assist. He's around just over 2-1 to one in the sports book for that. He's th- three assists in his last five games. And he'll be a huge threat for an assist from open play and from set pieces. And I like Pontus Janssen to score any time as well. If, if he's only eight to one to score any time on the sports book. If you can get maybe ten to one on the exchange, I think that's I think that's that's about he scored three goals this season. He's averaging um and he's kind of the he's he's definitely Brentford's big biggest threat from from set pieces. So that's that's the way I look for kind of a, a kind of a bigger price punt. 
And to take um, his shirt off, right, Emmett, in front of the Leeds fans. <laughs> ah, exactly, exactly. Do we know <laughs> he, he he's exactly the kind of player who won't uh, who won't be kind of a, a, a obeying the tradition of, of uh, not celebrating in front of his former in front of his former <laughs> club's fans. And in terms of Burnley Newcastle, Burnley Newcastle, yeah, I again similar theme to the Juventus tip earlier. I think the market is kind of really a kind of overrating and kind of the motivation factor here. We Burnley are, are are close to six to four shot in the exchange. I just think Newcastle are a far better team than Burnley. I think we saw that um, against Arsenal Monday night with, with kind of with Callum Wilson back. They might also have Kieran Trippier back for this game. I think I think Newcastle are maybe the maybe the eighth maybe eighth best team in the Premier League somewhere around that. And I, I think Burnley's kind of, yeah. No, I think Burnley are, 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 are Burnley are kind of the, we're kind of flattered by that good period of uh, form under Mike Jackson. Look at the teams they beat. They beat Stampton, who I think Stampton been the worst. Have been one of the worst teams in the Premier League in the second half of the season. They beat Wolves, who are outside of Jose Sarr, I think are a terrible team. As kind of mentioned earlier, Jose Sarr is the best save percentage and the kind of best post shot XG of any goalkeeper in the league outside if not for that Wolves being a close relegation level and they beat Watford again who we know we know we're a poor team so I think I think the burn the kind of a true reflection of Burnley's form has been the last couple of games they're obviously beaten by Aston Villa at home and they've beaten relatively comfort- comfortably by Tottenham and so I, I, again I, I have no faith in, in, in Burnley in, in, in Burnley pulling out a victory here and Newcastle look overpriced at 2-1 to one. as I've said as well if, if, if this game is close, Newcastle will be a serious threat in the break with Wilson and, and St. Maximan in the last quarter as well. So I think Newcastle are worth the bet at uh, current price of, of two to one or better. Now the race for the top four ends on Sunday. Two Spurs only need a point to already relegated Norwich to make sure of a Champions League spot. Mark, they've done ever so well to overhaul Arsenal in this top four race, haven't they? They have. They've been helped by Arsenal as well, you could say too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, in the last week or two, um, particularly the derby, and then what happened on on Monday night at Newcastle. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is a should in theory be a bit of an open goal now for for Spurs to to seal that top four finish. Um, obviously, uh, I'm sure Arsenal will be searching around Norfolk for uh, a few chefs who might be able to uh, muddy a lasagna <laughs> to, to aid their prospects. But um, yeah, I expect Spurs to win this game. They're around what 1.27. You know, you're not going to get rich backing them to. To win away at Norwich, of course, but uh, I think there's a, a decent reason to believe that the, the leap from 1.27 on the exchange to 2.1 on the sports book for Spurs to win without conceding, Tottenham to win to nil, um, that does appeal to me actually. Um, you know, with the goal difference uh, advantage on their side, there's no really reason for them to go out and demolish Norwich, even though they probably will and they're all capable of doing so. And I think Conte will be maybe not cautious, but just a wary that. Uh, you know, just let's just keep things reasonably tight and, and do what's required. There's no need to overexert ourselves. But um, I'd want Christian Romero to be fit. Um, I'm not sure if he will be, but even without him, I think Tottenham have improved immeasurably in both boxes, but particularly defensively over the past few months. And you can see the work that Conte's done on the training paddock to improve individuals in that system. Um, and the, they're playing a Norwich side who have been nilled in 57% of their overall Premier League games, and they failed to score in half of their games at Carrow Road. Uh, more recently, just scored one goal in five. They scored two home goals in eight against top half opposition. And this is a bet that's one in 10 of Norwich's 13 matches against the top six. Um, in terms of Spurs, four clean sheets and six away from home. One of the matches they didn't was against Liverpool, where they restricted them to, to just the one goal as well. So in terms of the price, I think there's 
there's reasonable sort of uh, wriggle room there. Uh, and in terms of Norwich as well, just uh, they've got worse since they've been confirmed as relegated as well. So um, in the last four games, they've managed an averaged XG output of 0.5 per game and just four and a half shots in the box, which is pretty pitiful stuff. So uh, they're going down with a bit of a whimper. Um, I know they've got a point against Wolves last week, but that's not really saying too much. And I think Spurs will get the job done pretty comfortably. There aren't many Premier League teams that have been worse than Norwich this season, have there, in the league's history? I can't think of too many. That dar- that awful Derby team, maybe. Yeah, as a QPR fan, we've had a few shockers. Um, <laughs> Sunderland comes to mind. Yeah, it's been pretty grim stuff. Emmett, if Spurs could have been asked, oh, who do you want, by the way, on the final day to get a result, Norwich would be top of that list, wouldn't they? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's kind of... Uh... I, I, I think, I think as, as we kind of discussed before, is I think this that that month, I think Arsenal could be regretting that uh, the game against Newcastle for a few years in the sense that, like, I think Antonio Conte would have been far more likely to look for the exit door if, if Champions League football wasn't guaranteed. I think Harry, Harry Kane's urgency to leave would have been increased as well if 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 that had happened. I think it's I think it was an absolutely enormous game, and with the kind of the looming threat of kind of Newcastle, I think it'll, it I think. It would have given Arsenal's no European football this season. This is as good. A, this might be as good a chance they get to make top four in the next in the next two or three seasons. I don't see, unless as as Mark said, unless we see something kind of some unforeseen factors. I can't see anything other than a kind of comfortable Spurs victory here. Just the angle I looked. I know Antonio Conte is not much of a man for sentiment, but I just like. But I, I like. I think I like. I like Son Young Min in the goal score markets. He obviously needs only one goal to tie um, to tie Mo Salah at the top of the league Premier League scoring charts. But Scana scored. I think he's scored. He scored like twenty-two. He scored twenty-two goals this season, and he's playing against. Uh, he's playing against the team that have conceded 79, 79, 79 goals in the Premier League this season. That the worst. Have the worst defense in the Premier League. I just think, given all of that, five to six on Son score any time looks looks more than fair here. I think, as well, I think Harry Kane has so much ability that I think he he will look, especially if Spurs are up by a couple of goals, he'll be looking to to, to set Son, Son up for at least one goal. So that's the I think that's that's a, Son of five to six definitely worth throwing in any kind of weekend accumulators. Yeah, unless you get a situation where uh, Conte does a Conte and they go 1-0 up and he hauls Son off and hurls on another defender. He wouldn't do that. Um, he's not that defensive. Uh, Stinch, you said a long time ago, to be fair to you, uh, when Spurs were big odds that they were a good bet for the top four, we're nearly there. Yeah, we backed them at 7-1 to one when Conte arrived, purely based on, we all know, I think, that this Spurs team is a good team, but they're under a manager that doesn't play offensive football under Nuno. Um, so nothing nothing against Nuno. Um, but yeah, like somebody like Conte is a born winner. And I'm not, uh, I'm not Arteta's uh, biggest fan uh, in terms of, he's just a, a bit similar to Lampard in a way. You know, I don't, I think he needs to cut his teeth at... Uh, a club, a lower, a club lower down the rung, really, um, rather than being sort of parachuted into this Arsenal job. I know he, he has picked up a, a trophy, um, but I, th- the the way they won those matches against Man City and Chelsea when they picked up the FA Cup is, wasn't sustainable long term. Um, and you add a bit of a cheat code there in Aubameyang. I think the way he allowed Aubameyang, the way his ego, I think, allowed Aubameyang to leave is is terrible because of the finances involved, you know, Aubameyang cost best part of 50 million and they allowed him to leave on a free transfer. Lacazette's now going to leave on a free transfer, maybe Nketiah as well um, because of his wage demands. Um, and 
next season, if they're in the Europa League, their schedule now is even more harder with the Thursday-Sunday grind. So it's even harder, in my mind, to make the top four. So, yeah, I think Arsenal are going backwards and, and maybe it's not just over the last few years. Maybe it's, a you know, as a result of what happened like a decade ago when they started selling their best players to the likes of, you know, Van Persie to United and Nazri to Man City, Adebayor, etc. You know, maybe this is kind of the, the comeuppance. And it's, it's a long way back for them because I don't know how much money they've got to spend, but, you know, the likes of Ramsdale and Ben White, they didn't come cheap. They might be good long-term investments, but a bit concerned for them in terms of uh, a striker. And they've got a very young, inexperienced team that, yes, you can mould them. But uh... That's the key, though, isn't it, Stinch? They've got, I think, I think it might be the youngest average age in the Premier League. I might be wrong about that, but I think they're pretty close to it, if not, um, you know, l- the lowest on that list in terms of average age. These massive pressure games are not games that they have routinely played. And against Newcastle, it looked that way. And that was what Granit Xhaka said afterwards, that we're just too nervous. Yeah, and, you know, if you've got someone like Xhaka who is, let's, you know, he's he's not a, he's not a nice guy, is he really? Like, you can't be selling out your young players just because they lost one game against Newcastle. The whole, it's a 38-game it's a season. It's not a one-off match. And how many times has he cost them in the past? You know, so somebody like him, it should be shipping him out. Um, our, you know, Arteta should be like mending bridges with the likes of Genduzi. Genduzi's had a fantastic season for Marseille. That's a hard bridge to build, I think. <laughs> I don't think he makes it very easy either, to be fair. Yeah, that's probably fair enough as well. But yeah, I just think some of the, these Arsenal characters that, uh, you know, I don't think they're, they're the right players that they should be persisting with in order to have long-term success. However, having said all of that, the job isn't done regarding top four. Yes. If, if you're concerned, you can still back Arsenal at 14-1, to 1, which is obviously a, a, a very chunky price. Yeah, Arsenal at home to Everton on the final day of the season. We don't know at this stage whether Everton will have anything riding on that. Now, seeing as we've been talking about Spurs, do you feel you've been on the wrong end of footballing injustice? Well, don't go to the police. That's pointless. Don't scream at the sky. Go to Dimitar Varbatov. His name is Dimitar Berbatov, but we've mixed his name with VAR. It's award-winning stuff now let Dimitar Varbatov know and you could get your bet paid out send any examples of footballing injustice over the weekend to at betfair on social media using the hashtag VARBATOV and the former Spurs and Manchester United striker will make his ruling Now, finally in the Premier League, Mark O'Hare has his snorkel and his flippers ready because he's on the beach with Leicester and Southampton yeah, um, Leicester. There's play. an image. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leicester are playing Chelsea Thursday night. Um, obviously, not a huge amount left for three of them to play for, so I'm not expecting them to be sort of duped by a really heavy schedule or anything like that. I think they'll be well ready to go and kind of try and finish with a flourish in front of their home fans. And they've had two big wins against two awful opponents in Watford and, Les- and Norwich recently too. So I think it sets them up quite nicely for a home game against the Southampton side who. Let's be honest, signed off for summer a long time ago, really. Um, didn't compete massively well with the second string Liverpool in midweek. And I thought they despite... were really strange against Liverpool, especially in that second half, because they just stood off at 2-1 down and they kind of went for it a bit towards the end. But it was, it was quite weird. It was almost like damage limitation. It was very yeah, yeah, I, I thought that as well. Um, an odd performance considering they had such a long time to sort of rest and prepare for it too. Um, and, you know, you're playing a Liverpool team 72 hours after going 120 minutes. I know they made nine changes, but that should motivate you even more to try and get a good result against one of the top teams 
in your final home game, but it wasn't to be really, and it's now eight defeats in 11 Premier League games. They've conceded twice or more in nine of those as well. Uh, away from home, they've lost half of their away days. Their defensive record away from St Mary's is wretched, um, averaging 2.17 goals per game against. They've conceded twice or more in 14 of 18 away days. Uh, bizarrely, one of their two away clean sheets came at Man City. Um, but um, yeah, they've, they've fallen way below standards that they would normally set. And I think Ralph Hasenhutl, quite understandably, is a bit frustrated with things behind the scenes. But um, yeah, being the end of the season, we've talked about it many times in the last couple of weeks. I'm expecting things to be pretty loose. And I think that will benefit Leicester. Their record, when you exclude the top five of the KP, eight wins, four draws, just the one defeat, scoring twice or more in eight of those. Um, the bulk of which would have been played without a lot of their sort of frontline stars, whether that's through European commitments or or injuries as well. So I think there's a decent difference between these two teams. Uh, you know, it's only the last two seasons Leicester were challenging for the top four, winning FA Cups. Um, so it's been quite an underwhelming campaign. I think there is a determination to try and finish with a bit of a flourish. So um, Leicester are backable at the price, but you can back them to win in over one and a half goals at 2.05, just odds against there. And um, that does appeal to me, actually. I'd be very surprised if this game ends in a in a 1-0. Leicester to score two goals or more is, is actually pretty short too. It's shorter than Leicester to win and their odds on. So um, the market clearly expects goals in this game, but uh, I think most of which will come from Leicester. But a lot of games that we've covered looking ahead to Sunday. There are some games on Saturday as well. The League One playoff finals this weekend, Sunderland against Wickham. Stinch, I know this isn't one of the games you specifically wanted to look at, but you've given us some outstanding EFL tips this season. So just wanted to get your take uh, on this clash. Obviously, Sunderland, an enormous club that's been trying to get back up the divisions for quite some time. But Wickham do tend to upset the odds, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I'm surprised Wickham are in the final, but you're right. It's kind of um, dangerous to to uh, disregard them. Um, you know, they they absolutely battered in that second leg against MK Dons, but they knew in that game they had their two goal lead and they set out their stool. Rightly or wrongly, to defend, I think MK Dons had 18 corners and. A, 20 plus shots you know they absolutely battered them and they they scored with a reasonable amount of time to get the second but they just couldn't find the breakthrough so yep all credit to them for for getting this far um the games between these two sides this season have actually been uh, quite exciting the home game was uh thrill uh at wickham and i believe the away game was also quite high scoring um yeah sunderland went 3-1 at the stadium stadium of light um yeah, they're evens to win in 90 minutes, which seems very short to me. You know, it's going to be, we've all seen Sunderland documentary, that this is going to be so, 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 so cagey for them. You know, it's another it's trip. It's enormous pressure, isn't it? Yeah, enormous it's, an, pressure. it's another trip to Wembley, um, another trip for their, you know, their fans that back them till the end, basically. You know, if Sunderland were in the conference, I think they'd still get... 30 odd thousand at the stadium like like it's ex- it's expensive you know it's another trip down to Wembley um, after you know um, 23 game if you're a season ticket holder 23 games is, is a lot of money so you're spending even more money to get all the way down to London and we know how uh, you know how expensive that can be so yeah the huge huge pressure here so this Sunderland evens looks very very short you consider that um, the over under goals is no surprise unders at eight to 13 for under two and a half goals so when you have a low scoring game that will automatically push up the teams to win prices because the draw 
chance increases. So the fact that this Sunderland is still set evens is very, very short to me. I, I would actually be looking, I'll be interested in hearing Mark's view, but I'd be actually looking to, to lay Sunderland here um, uh, around about 2.1, 2.15 on the exchange. Um, you know, you're getting close to even money that they don't win in 90 minutes. So it's not to say that they won't be promoted after extra time or penalties. But yeah, that seems very, very short to me. I looked at both teams to score because um, that's chalked up at 50-50, five to six a pair. I thought maybe back in both teams to score, no. But as I said, underestimate this Wickham side at your peril. And if they take the lead, I th- I definitely could envisage a barrage of Sunderland attacks. And I think it'd be difficult to keep them out. Very impressive Ross Stewart this season coming down from Scotland, um, getting the 20 plus goals in League One. I really like Broadhead that's on loan from Everton. Um, he's back after uh, missed the first leg um, against uh, Sheffield Wednesday. He's back fully fit as far as I'm aware. He's been really good to uh, take away some of the strain that uh, a broadhead has to carry. And wow, they've got three like really good number 10s that they've somehow managed to shoe horn into this like five five uh, five man defense they've got jack clark who was uh, broke out at leeds that got the move to spurs he's playing left wing back set up the the equalizer in the second leg um late on for patrick roberts who of man city background who again i think is another fantastic player that's playing below his level and then you've got alex pritchard like knitting it all together in the center and he had a big money move from spurs to huddersfield um and I think all of these players uh, could definitely, well, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the Premier League, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, a lot a lot of threat from Sunderland. But, yeah, do not underestimate this Wickham side. And you know how much romantic stuff goes on in football. I wouldn't be surprised to see Akin Fenwa play a part. That's certainly so. Uh, Mark, what's your angle on this one? Will the big man Akin Fenwa be celebrating, do you think? Or <laughs> is it I not going to go his way? Yeah, it's very similar to Stinch, really. Um, if you look at the lead table, just one point between them, the goal difference was also very, very similar. If you look at the the form tables over the last sort of four, eight, 12, 16 games, pretty much neck and neck, really. And actually, since Alex Neal was appointed in early February, results and, and sort of top-level figures have been quite similar between the two teams. Sunderland, for me, favourites not just on reputation. They're bringing more fans to Wembley, and there's been a, a lot of sort of behind-the-scenes issues between the uh, the two clubs, Sunderland fans buying tickets in the Wickham end and stuff, and it's getting a bit messy there. But um, also performance data too. They rank as the second best team in League One over the last 16 games. Um, and the team who were top of those rankings were Sheffield Wednesday, and they dumped them out very impressively over two legs as well. So they've lost just once under Alex Neil. Um, a lot of draws in that time, but they've been keeping clean sheets. They've been very, very solid defensively. Uh, as Stinch said, individually, they've got that talent in the final third to to win tight games if needs be. Um, I'm personally excluded, just, just discounting the two high-scoring games between these two because they both arrived before Alex Neal uh, got the job at Sunderland. And although sort of League One player final trends, you know, eight of the last 11 have gone over two and a half goals, I think here we've got two very strong, capable, very sort of resolute defences on display. Clash of styles as well. Um, I just don't think it's conducive to a high-scoring match. And uh, I'd want to be with Wickham uh, with the plus uh, half a goal on the Asian handicap at 1.8. Um, but I just think um, just in terms of uh, it's not the most fun bet to support, but backing under two and a half goals at slightly shorter, 1.75, just gives you a, a whole range of correct scores on your side if you think it is going to be a low-scoring game. And if Sunderland score early, it doesn't really matter because you've still got your bet on side. So uh, Wickham have lost once in the last 14 uh, that was the semi-final second leg against MK. Uh, they've also got an incredible team spirit there, led by Gareth Ainsworth. And just a 
just a belief in what they're doing there, which is gonna it's gonna work out in their favour. And it's eight clean sheets and fourteen now. Ten of those fourteen went under two and a half goals, including all four meetings against top six rivals as well. Um, as you say, huge pressure on Sunderland. Wickham will absolutely relish the underdog role. Uh, they're very difficult to sort of get beaten, uh, particularly when they're unfancied. So, yeah, this one could go the distance, but uh, unders would be my call. And from League One to League A, which comes to a close this weekend, Saint Etienne could still avoid automatic relegation, but they'll need a better result at Nantes. The Mets get at Paris Saint Germain, the best that Saint-Étienne can hope for as a relegation playoff. So, Mark, this is going to be nail-biting. It is. And look, Mets going to PSG on paper looks like a, a no contest, but PSG's players have been gallivanting all around Europe the last couple of weeks, doing anything but playing football. Um, that's Done that all season, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the Asian handicap set at two and a half goals in that game. I think it could be much, much closer than that. I think Mets are more than capable of going to the capital and, and doing something. Maybe not winning, but keeping things competitive. So St. Etienne might have to go to Nantes now and, and try and, yeah, well, they're going to have to try and um, better Mets' his result anyway. So their result, their, their form has been dreadful. They've played four defeats on the spin, six defeats in eight. Because they looked okay, didn't they? A few weeks ago, we were talking about how Pascal Dupraz had maybe steadied the ship and they were going to be okay. But they're kind of back to Claude Puel levels, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, just a bit more exciting, really, than Claude Puel. Because yeah. they're scoring goals, but just hemorrhaging goals defensively too. And they've only won twice since February. And the market seems to be overestimating you know, the motivation factor you know, massively at play here again. So yeah, I couldn't touch them away at Nantes. Nantes, you know, fresh from winning the Coupe de France. They backed that up with a, a derby win against Rennes. So... You know, they're in form, they're playing well, they're feeling good about themselves. Antoine Cumbarare is being offered a new deal there. So things are very, you know, going swimmingly for Nantes. And I just think goals, back goals here because uh, of St Etienne's desperation. They will play proactively as they have tended to do under De Praz. But just that inability to keep things tight is, is going to be their downfall, really. They've managed four clean sheets all season. They've considered twice or more in seven of the last eight. Uh, just dreadful for the team trying to battle against relegation. Seven of those eight featured over two and a half goals, but they have scored in 14 of the last 16. Both teams have scored in 12 of those and an average of 3.5 goals per game. Uh, and if you look at Nantes recently in, in Ligue 1, 25 goals in the last five games, BTTS in each of the last eight. And they failed to keep a clean sheet in 10, but they've actually scored twice or more in seven of nine against the bottom half. So if you back over two and three quarter goals on the goal line on the exchange, uh, you're getting a nice price around about 1.9. Um, over the past decade, as Stinch has talked about with the Premier League, Ligue 1 has seen a, a really good rise in terms of goal output in May compared to average kind of season tallies. I think it's around 2.83. Um, so, yeah, it already suggests a high total, but chuck in the desperation factor plus non playing very, very well at the minute. Um, should, be, should be a good game. And finally, it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a betting feature so revered that Della Soul's late 80s hip-hop classic The Magic Number was actually based on their love of trebles from the Littlewoods Cup and the Zenith Data Systems Cup. Now, how this works is the three guys come up with a pick each and we uh, wrap them up in a boosted treble delivered by delightful traders like Emmett here. So... I'm going to start with Emmett O'Keefe. I'm going to give him the first pick for this podcast treble. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll a slightly brave call here I'll, I'll, for all the reasons just earlier. I'll, I'll take Newcastle away, Burnley, which I think is a very, a, a very, a very appealing price, a very appealing price at around two to one. 
So Emmett's uh, started in fiery fashion. Lovely stuff. Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, I'll go Leicester to beat Southampton for all the reasons I've already outlined. I think Saints are yeah, well on the beach. Super stuff. And Stinch, take us home. Uh, I was going to go for over two and a half goals in Burnley Newcastle because that's 10 to 11. So that's the only one where overs is the outsider. And as I mentioned before, we see an increase. Um, but obviously Emmett's gone for Newcastle. So I'm just deciding where to go. Okay, I will go for overs then in Brighton v West Ham because it's the second highest at nearly nearly four to five. And um, yeah, I th- think these two should both really be proud of their season. So I'm hoping they don't play out in a meandered style of game. Um, also, Kev, maybe just worth uh, mentioning that our bet builder treble is uh, nearly 14 to one in the Man City game. So Ooh, very, very stuff. juicy. Tremendous. Right. So uh, hopefully the bet builder and indeed the podcast treble will land. Right. That's all we have time for on this bumper edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Keep an eye out for our special Champions League final preview. That's coming up very soon. Loads of good stuff on our website, betting.betfair.com. We've got a preview of the Serie A finale, also the Ligue 1 finale. We've got every single Premier League game that'll get it's dedicated preview and we'll have all of the EFL playoff finals as well from Emmett from Mark from Stinch from Chloe and from me it's goodbye for now